hearts and shake off that which is, um, you know, from the day. So, Father, we, we are honored and, and privileged to come before your throne, knowing that it is uh, nothing to do with us, but everything to do with you. That you, that you saved us, that you clothed us in your righteousness, that you washed us in your blood. You pursued us, you wooed us, you drew us to you. And we love that. And so tonight, Father, we, uh, we, we endeavor to draw near to you as you drew us to you, Lord. And you said that as we draw near to you, you, you would be closer to us. This is a night of drawing near to you. For you are worthy. You are worthy of our attention. You are worthy of our time. You are worthy of our thoughts. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship. You are altogether lovely and pure and righteous and just. Your mercies are new every morning. And your patience for us is unmatched. And so we thank you that as we gather here in your name, that you're here in our midst. Here, you, the creator of all things, you are here in our midst. Help us to be conscious of it, of you, of your presence, of your love, of your power, and of your grace. Physically, mentally, and spiritually conscious and aware, abiding in your presence. And Holy Spirit, that, that abides within each and every one of us, stir in us what it is we need to hear from you tonight. Not for head knowledge, but for life-changing wisdom and understanding. For apart from you, we can do nothing tonight, but with you, all things are possible. And so as we open up your word tonight and, and learn from you, from your word, Holy Spirit, teach us and lead us and guide us. Indeed, uh, this evening is yours and we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. So lead us beside still waters tonight and, and uh, into green pastures. We thank you, Father, that we have an undivided attention and a love for you tonight. And that you will indeed take this time to minister to us as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. So let it be done, amen. That kind of amen. Hallelujah. Thank you all for coming out and welcome to spring. It's going to be summer in a couple days and then probably back to winter, who knows. But that's New England, we love that. Gives us something to complain about when, uh, when things haven't changed enough. Um, tonight, uh, we're going to uh, talk about a topic called In the Last Days. In the Last Days. And uh, I, I think it might go into the next time we're together in May, but we'll see. Uh, but we're going to talk about In the Last Days. So when I say In the Last Days, what do you, what do you think of? 
Help me out. What do we think of when we say in the last days? So what, what comes to mind? What? End times. What else in the last days? What's that? Revolution. Revolution in the last days. The coming of Christ. Yeah. Anybody else? The last days. The rapture. The revelation. The end days. Good. Anybody think of suffering? Anyone think of wars and pestilence? Anyone think of the sun growing dark? All kinds of things can happen in the end days. Right? So tonight we're going to talk a little bit about what those end days are, scripturally, and try to set the stage for uh, two, two letters that we're going to study um, from two of the apostles who, who don't address the entire letter as the end days, but in a sense it does. And it's amazing to see the similarities as we go through these. Um, but what's important is to know is that I think all of us would have a sense that in the, in the last days, we're probably in the last of the last days. And there's going to be a change coming fairly soon, maybe even in our lifetime or our children's lifetime. And, uh, and that's going to bring about traumatic change, dramatic change, traumatic change. Um, and, and we need to be prepared for that. So we're going to start off with uh, two key scriptures that have this phrase, in the last days. So when, I, when you hear that, you'll, you'll see, you'll see be, be cued into that. The first one is from 2 Timothy. And it's chapter 3 and verses 1 through 5. And for those of you who are Bible readers during messages, we're going to spend most of tonight in 2 Timothy. Um, and you'll see why in a minute. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 Paul writes to Timothy, he says, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And Paul says, and from such people turn away. Our second scripture, which is a key scripture for this topic, is from another letter, 2 Peter. And we'll also read from chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And this is Peter writing to the churches. He says, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since our fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So we see a couple of different warnings in in these two sets of verses. We see a warning uh, that that men are going to turn to themselves and be lovers of themselves and all the things of this world and not be lovers of God. So, so we need to be careful from those people because they may have a form of godliness. They look like they have the word from God, but they do not. 
And we see a second warning from Peter saying they're going to be scoffers. And that's probably, Debbie and I were laughing at that term scoffers. We don't hear about that term very much. Who's a scoffer? But people are going to, to wag their heads and go, that's not going to happen. Uh, don't why, you know, why do you even believe that? I mean, that was a long time ago and back when we're much more enlightened now. We know, we know God's not coming back. Um, why do you even believe such things? And uh, so we need to be prepared, prepared in the last days and in especially in the last of the last days um, for scoffers and how to respond to them, how, how to, uh, to deal with them. So there's some warning. So, so, so the first question I have is to you, and I, we kind of started with this, is are we in the last days? Is there anybody here who would say we are in the last days? Everybody's nodding their heads, giving the amens. Uh, those of you online probably would agree it feels to us like we're in the last days. But, but I would ask you to think about it from a standpoint of the scriptures, and I don't need you to, to shout out, but, but on what do you base that premise? Because if you base the premise on what you're experiencing in the world, uh, without the backing of good doctrine and good scriptures, you may be off base. So it's important when we say, yeah, we're in the last days, brother, uh, that you understand what it means. So, so what prophecies are you leaning on? What scriptures? Uh, and, and, and when did they start? So, so as I was preparing this topic, I started to think about that question and started to do a little digging, as I like to do. And uh, one of the th- most of the things that I saw said that the last days didn't just start now. The last days actually started when Christ came. I'll give you a couple of scripture references. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. God, who at various days, or in, let's see, this is the New King James, God in these last days has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the worlds, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the worlds. So you see the writer of Hebrews is referencing to the fact that when Jesus came, it was in the last days, in these last days that he came. Now that's not where it doesn't stop with Jesus. If we go now to Acts chapter 2, and we see in verse 14 through 17, of course this is the day of Pentecost, and Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he said, It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And you know there's much more to this message that Peter brings on Pentecost. But I wanted to point out the phrase, in the last days. So, so, so what the Bible is telling us is, is when, when Christ came, it was the beginning of the last days. The last days. And uh, it's good to know that these last days have been a while. <laughs> so then the question becomes, well, well, well when are they going to end? You know, if it's been a 2,000 years, when, when, when do the last days end? Well, the last days will end, as some, some of you said, the second coming of Christ. 
that's when the last days will end. And we know, of course, that he's, we're much closer to his second coming than we were yesterday and a thousand years ago. So, so, so when Christ comes the second time, uh, then he will usher in the millennial reign of Christ. And overlapping this period of however many years the last days is from when Jesus came the first time to when he comes the second time, overlapping these last days will be something called the day of the Lord. So that will be at the end of the last days and leading into the millennial reign of Christ. And the day of that Lord is that real scary part that we've read about in the Word. And uh, we'll maybe spend some more time on that uh, in, the, in, in, in a future message. So, so the, the, the commentaries that I read and the scriptures that I see suggest that the last days are between the time that Christ came uh, as a man 2,000 years ago to the time when he's coming again. These are the last days. Um, I saw an interesting chart that kind of defined it this way. If you think about creation uh, in seven days, and we talked in our last series together how seven is the, the, the number of completeness, and they talked about the first 2,000 years kind of was from Adam to the, to the law, and the next 2,000 years is from the law to Christ. And so that's two different ages, and now we have the next 2,000 years, which are the last days. So that's 6,000 years, and then we have the millennial reign of Christ, which is another 1,000 years, which brings us to a completeness of seven. So it's kind of neat to see those, those similarities and, 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 and assessments of what the ages are. And speaking of the ages, let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 9. Um, this is a, a scripture that doesn't say necessarily the last days in this scripture, but it, but it kind of consolidates what I just described to you in a sense. And we're going to read from verses 23 to 28 in Hebrews chapter 9. Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For, for Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. Uh, he then would have to, had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. And then to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So you see that the end of the ages, the 4,000 years I just described earlier, and now we have Christ appearing, and, and, and he appears for the first time to take away sin. And that gives us the opportunity then to receive his salvation when he comes again and takes us up into our everlasting presence with God. So that captures in that scripture essentially the, these last days, which is the time between when he came to take care of the problem of our sin and when he comes again to take us home uh, into glory. Is that making sense? And there's a whole lot more, obviously, we could dig into, the, the, but I just want to get you a taste of it. So, so when we read and we study 2 Timothy and 2 Peter, and we read the context, it's important to understand the context. And, and so when, when Peter and, and Paul are writing these letters, they're talking about they're already in the last days, even though it was 2,000 years ago. 
So, so the context of what they're explaining or expressing is, is an urgency that they're in the last days and, and it's something we need to receive from that sense as well. All right, so, so let's talk about the background of these letters, uh, 2 Timothy and 2 Peter. So what's interesting is that both of these men, Peter and Paul, Paul wrote to Timothy, so when you read the book, First and Second Timothy, it's not that Timothy wrote those, but he was the recipient of letters from the Apostle Paul. So, so the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter uh, wrote these two letters. These are the second letters uh, that have the same title from the same authors. And, uh, and, and, and Second Timothy was written by Paul. And Paul was writing to Timothy, an individual who he traveled with. We'll talk more about him in a minute. And was intimately familiar with. And he was uh, basically coaching Timothy in, in some final words. And Peter, his address was written to, to a broader uh, group of believers, those of like precious faith, that, um, that he had written to previously in, in, in different churches that are outlined in First Peter. So there are different audiences, but we ha- and we have different authors. But what's striking, and we'll see as we go through Second Timothy tonight and Second Peter, probably the next time we're together, uh, the similarities in the messages, despite the differences in the audience and the differences in the authors. So, so both of these uh, men were were written. With the, these letters were written from prison cells, so they were both imprisoned when they wrote these letters. They were both in the 65, 66, 64, depending on the, the, you know, the expertise that you read, uh, A.D., so you know, 60 years after Christ, at a time when, when uh, Nero was the, was the emperor of Rome, Rome was burned in 64 A.D., so it was in this time period when Christianity had gone from a nuisance to being outlawed. Uh, and and so, so there's great persecution coming on to the church, both of these letters were written very near to the time when the authors were going to be martyred, and they knew that their time was short. So you have to realize that when they were writing these letters, this was like their last shot. This was their most important words to Timothy and to the churches. There was some urgency into what they were expressing because they knew that whatever, they probably wouldn't have another chance to get these letters out uh, to, to these people. And so, so they, were, they, they felt that there was a certain urgency by the Holy Spirit, uh, who was the author of both of these, by the way. So when we said Paul wrote one, Peter wrote one, well, ultimately the Holy Spirit uh, authored them through, through these apostles. So they're the final exhortations. And so it's important that we read these with a sense of urgency. You know, if, 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 if somebody who was important to you, was a mentor to you, and their, in their last dying breath said, one thing I want you to remember... When you read 2 Timothy and 2 Peter, these are the things I want you to remember. If there's nothing else you take, I need to stir up your remembrance on these things. So that, that sense of importance to these letters, because sometimes, and I don't know about you guys, but when you get familiar with the scriptures, you can read through them kind of quickly and go, oh, that was a nice letter from Paul to Timothy, wasn't it? You know, but no, these are letters by the Holy Spirit written to us as well. And we need to really receive that urgency, that emphasis that importance uh, that the Holy Spirit has to say about, about the last days. All right, so let's talk about 2 Timothy tonight, and, 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 uh, and then the next time we get together, we'll, we'll talk about 2 Peter. And, 
And uh, I'll remind you of some of the things that we summarized here when we do Peter, and you'll see that the Apostle or the Holy Spirit through each Apostle had very similar messages, but with, with different words and, and different um, uh, orders, perhaps. Uh, when I started to put this message together, I started to put them in, in parallel. So there's Timothy's verse, and here's Paul's verse, and then the next idea, here's Timothy. And it got really confusing, so I said, all right, let's just stay focused here. Let's talk about Second Timothy and see what, uh, what this has to offer us. Hopefully that'll be beneficial. And by the way, if I mumble something or say something you want me to repeat or you have a question, it's a small group here, so you know, shout out or raise your hand or somehow catch my attention, throw something at me would be okay. Um, you know, we're comfortable here. <laughs> so, not Pastor Chris, you can't throw anything. So, just saying. All right, so let's talk about Timothy. You know, so who is Timothy? Well, Paul, Paul met Timothy on his second missionary journey. So that's where, where Paul first met Timothy. Uh, and and, and Timothy, Timothy was a young man, and Timothy was uh, already steeped in the Word of God. He was already a strong Christian man. He, his grandmother was a Christian. His mother was a Christian. He was raised on the Scriptures. And so he already had a, found, a strong foundation of faith. And uh, Paul recognized that right away when he met Timothy. And so, so Timothy joined Paul on the latter part of his second missionary journey and was a, a big help to him on the third missionary journey as well. And we see Timothy referenced throughout the epistles. So, so he's a key player, a key part of Paul's team. And, and Paul, Paul recognized the calling that was on Timothy's life. So at some point, there was a, a, a laying on of the hands, and some prophecies were spoken over Timothy. And so, so Timothy uh, had received his call and, and, and been separated under the ministry by the hands of the Apostle Paul and whatever other elders were with them at the time. Uh, so so there, there's an, there was an important spiritual transition or a moment in Timothy's life when he was separated to do the work of, of the ministry. And that's important uh, because obviously when we get to this point in time, he needs to be stirred up in that truth. He needs to understand that God had created him for a specific purpose. So, so eventually toward the end of, of Paul's uh, ministry time, then Paul anoints Timothy to, uh, to be the pastor over the churches in Ephesus. So, so he now has a leadership role over the Christian churches in, in, in the region of Ephesus. So, so while he's a young man uh, and, he's, and he's got all these churches under him, uh, now suddenly in the context of Second Peter, this mentor, this, this, this uh, premium chief of the faith, this hero of Christianity, the one who wrote two-thirds of these books, who he, Timothy, had traveled with for I don't know, 10, 12 years, they had quite a bond. And, it, and Paul refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. They were very, very close. And obviously Timothy you know, did whatever Paul needed him to do, leaned on Paul for whether instructions he could get, and they were very close. And now Paul is in prison for a second time. And it's not like a house prison, like his first imprisonment, where, where he could write his letters and, and people would come and go and it wasn't, wasn't comfy, but it, you know, he didn't have all the freedoms. But, but it was a lot different in the second time. In the second imprisonment, he was in jail, he was in chains, it wasn't comfortable, and he knew his days were short. And so now Timothy is suddenly feeling like he's hanging out there to dry. He's like, oh man, this one that I leaned on this whole time, the last 10, 12 years, suddenly he's going to be gone. What am I going to do? So Paul understands this, and so he addresses this right away uh, in his second letter to Timothy. 
And, and we'll read in chapter 1. We'll start with uh, verse 3. Um, and, and Paul writes, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers, night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you, Timothy, stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. It's one of our favorite scriptures, right? When times get tough, when we're concerned, when things get a little bit, oh, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and sound mind. We encourage ourselves in that scripture, and rightfully so. But think about now the context of the origin of that writing. What was Peter, or sorry, Paul saying to Timothy in the context of the fact that, look, I know that I'm going to be uh, martyred soon. I know my days are short on the earth. I know I'm going to be with the Lord soon. Hallelujah. Um, but I don't want you, Timothy, to be afraid. Don't let the spirit of fear come upon you and hold you back because of the persecutions, because of the changes in the laws, because of the things that are going on. No, God has given you a spirit of power and of love and a soundness of mind that you can press into these situations. And so, so we can stop and say, oh, nice historical story, Gordon, what's next? But the reality is, is that's where we are now. As you can see, the laws are changing, society's changing. It's no longer vogue to be a Christian. Christian morality, Christian uh, principles are no longer mainstream. And eventually that will go from Christianity being a nuisance to Christianity being outlawed. We run the risk of that. And I'm not saying that in a sense of prophesying or or trying to be negative, but we know that in the last days this is going to happen to us. And so the Holy Spirit is stirring us up to say, be ready and don't be afraid. Remember the the calling. Remember that you were made for a purpose for such a time as this, that you are here now by God's hand, by his anointing, so that you can stand firm in the face of this opposition and still praise God and still believe that God is coming back again, that he loves us and that he's a good God and that he's real. I mean, I, I, I travel in, 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 in circles of very smart people in the, in the, in the business world that, I, that I'm in, and, and, and very wonderful people and good-hearted people, but boy, do I hardly ever hear a drop of faith. I hardly ever hear a ma- uh, 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 somebody saying, I went to church, you know? I, I never hear someone say, I believe in Jesus. And, and that's sad. That, that's sad. And we need to be that voice to say, I believe in Jesus. And these smart, intelligent people around us are going to go, why? And we need to be ready with an answer. Not be afraid that we'll be ostracized, not hold back. But know that we've got that power, but always in love, never condemning, always in love. And you'll have the mind to explain. You'll have the mind to say what you need to say. So we need to be bold in that and not have that spirit of fear. So it's a warning to us to recognize that that spirit of fear may come. And here's one of the keys. Uh, in 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14, he says, Paul continues with the message, he says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are, are, are in Christ Jesus. 
That good thing which was committed to you, keep. How? By the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So Paul wasn't saying it's all about me where the Holy Spirit dwells. He's saying he, he dwells in us. And so we all need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit, he dwells in us. The Spirit, the teacher, the leader and guider of all truth, the one who can tell us the word in the time we need to know it. He's in us. He is in us. And so we need to recognize that and continually remind ourselves of that so as times get tougher and darker, that light within us shines brighter. We also see, following this little section, is that there's some warnings of a need for teachers of sound doctrine. The world needs more teachers of sound doctrine. We need, all of us need, and not just the called ones, you know, teaching is one of the fivefold ministries, which is, yeah, five, not four, five, uh, which is in, in, in Ephesians, but, but the call, that's not, uh, what we're talking about here is uh, any of you can be teachers. You need to be prepared to be able to teach and hold fast to, to the doctrines that you all have learned over the years, here and other places, wherever you've grown up in your walk. Uh, you need to be prepared to be teachers too. Um, because we need to teach others who will teach others, but we also need to recognize that this is not going to be an easy row to hoe, that, that this is a long-term race, that, that there's going to be opposition and there's going to be a labor of love and you're going to have to sacrifice some time and put yourself out there. It's not a once-and-done message. You can't put it on YouTube and say, I'm done. You know, that, Paul didn't have YouTube. We do, but that's not how it's going to work. You know, I, I love to go to YouTube because when I want to fix something, there's always somebody who was a teacher there to give me the instructions, right? But for them, that's once and done, and then they get money every time I go look at it, right? So, but for the Word, we need to be able to do it in person especially because there uh, we can bring that love and that soundness of mind and the power that goes with it to demonstrate uh, the truth that you're bringing. But we need teachers. Let's look at this. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, uh, no, is that where we are? Yes. Uh, chapter 2 now in the first seven verses. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will all, by the way, that can be women, commit these to faithful men and women, Gordon's put, putting in that, uh, who will be able to teach others also. So, so commit what Paul's saying to Timothy, commit what you've learned from me to others so they can teach others also. Uh, you, but then here's the, the concern. You therefore must endure. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Uh, but here's the good news. The hardworking farmer must be the first partaker of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. So, so Paul's exhorting Timothy to find some teachers. Um, and, and by the way, if you look at Hebrews chapter 5, it tells us we should all be teachers. So I'm not out of line here. We, sh we all should be teachers of the first oracles of God. We're, and, uh, and, of course, in the writer of Hebrews are saying, look, you guys are still need milk, but you all have had enough meat that you should be able to teach others also. Now, listen, if I'm talking to somebody who's new to the faith and you're just absorbing everything you're hearing, you're not, that's okay. There's a time when you have an understanding enough to be able to say, this is what, what this word means. But many of us that I see here tonight, you guys know. 
You know, there's no excuse not to be willing to teach somebody in the correct doctrines, right? So, so, so it's going to be, there's going to be some hardship. We need to commit to this throughout our days here on the earth. It's not a season. Teaching others and bringing others to Christ and telling them the good news. This is not a season. This is a lifestyle. So, so be able to be ready to embrace that, but know that it's, uh, it, it's going to be warfare, so like a good soldier, you need to stand firm. And we are going to be tempted to quit. We're going to be tempted to be tired. And, 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 and we're not going to be tempted. We're, we are tired. We're all busy. Uh, uh, but we need to pull ourselves up by the back of the neck and be able to continue to do it until we breathe our last. God has enlisted us into his army to do this work. And like it or not, you, you can't uh, go AWOL. We, don't go away, Paul. God needs you. And then he gives us, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 8-13, through 13, he gives us some basics of the faith. Let's look at them. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead. I'm going to pause there for a minute. Uh, because because it, in Paul's writing at this time, there were some, some, some people bringing in doctrines that said, no, there's no physical resurrection. He wasn't really, it's a spiritual thing, but there's no physical. And Paul's saying, no, he was physically raised from the dead, and you will be too. And so, so he's saying that Jesus was raised from the dead, and then he goes on to say, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect. So Paul knew what the goal was, which was to bring more into the kingdom before the end of the last days when there wouldn't be time to do that anymore, and those who don't come into the kingdom will be judged. So, so he wants to make sure they obtain their salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, verse 11. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So, so if there's anything that these teachers that Paul is exhorting Timothy to bring into the fold to do more teaching, he's saying, at least you can stand on these things. You know, we need to die with Christ, right? Baptizing to Christ, we need to die with him uh, and, and die to ourselves. We need to take up our cross and crucify ourselves daily, ourselves, so that we can then live in him. And this is not... This is a daily thing which will require endurance. So we need to endure. But if we endure, we will reign with him. That's a place of authority in eternity. Uh, so so there's, a, there's a prize for, for enduring, uh, just like you talked about with the athletics. Don't deny him. And that's a warning to us. Because as the persecution comes, as the pressure comes, there will be a temptation to say, I don't know him, you know, like Peter did when he was... Uh, when Jesus was arrested. Uh, that's an example for us. Don't do that. Um, because if you deny him, he will deny us before the Father, and that's not a good place to be. You want to make sure uh, that he is uh, speaking on your behalf. So he encourages us to the basics of the faith, and then he goes on to warn us about the presence of false teachers. So we'll look at it in chapter 2, uh, verse 14 to 26. And we'll read part of it and stop for a minute and read the rest. Um, Am I going too fast on the scriptures? You guys okay? The pace good? Yeah, okay. Good, thanks. Uh, So, 
Remind them, uh, chapter 2, 2 Timothy, chapter 2, Timothy 2, 14 to 26. Verse 14, remind them of these things. This is, Paul, this is Paul saying to Timothy, remind your teachers of these things. So he's reminding us, his teachers, of these things. Charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past. And they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So, so the Holy Spirit in us today, he, he, he dwells in us, right? If you're Christ, then the Holy Spirit came to abide in you. He lives in you. He is in there to warn you when you hear a false teacher. They will come like, like the Son of God. They will look perfect. They will sound appealing. They will be enticing. And they will draw many people away. Be aware. They're coming. They're here now, actually, in the earth today. And, and so you need to be conscious of the Spirit of God who bears witness within you when you hear something that says, man, that sounds really good. I kind of like some of that. And you're like, eh, something's just not right there. Heed their warning. In love, you don't have to condemn them, but heed the warning and follow after what God is calling you to do uh, and not be tossed about with every wind of doctrine. Uh, that we, we hear so much about. So, and you need to rightly divide the word of truth. So, so dig into your Bibles and read your Bibles and know the word and allow the Holy Spirit to, to, to bear witness to the things that he wants you to see. Some of the word is, is, is meaningless to me at times. And other times when I read it, I go, wow, that's really cool. How come I haven't seen that before? Well, I read it 18 times, but now there's something that God wants me to see in it. So it's important to know that he's in you so we can rightly divide that, that word of truth. And, and, and to, to avoid the debates. You know, I know all of you who have shared Christ at one point or another in your life, you had some kind of... I remember, here's a story. When I was in high school, I was home in the summertime, my parents were working, not a good situation for a high school boy to be alone at home, but, but two uh, young Baptist men came you know, witnessing around the neighborhood, and they knocked the door, and I let them in, and they said they were from this church, I forget. Pretty sure they were from a Baptist church. I don't mean any, any disrespect to the church. Love the fact that they were out witnessing. But, but, and I wasn't saved at the time. But they, I asked them this question. I said, they, they said, you know, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. I said, well, what about the people who have never heard the gospel. And, 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 um, and, and that was a question that they said, well, they're going to go to hell. And to me, that was like, well, th- th- that doesn't sound like a loving God to me. If they never had a chance to repent, what, you know, what, what, that didn't resonate with me. And, and so that, that, in a sense, was not the right answer for me at the time, right, to, to hear that. And so I, I share that example. So that could have put me off altogether for the faith of Christianity, if you're not leading or following the leading of the Holy Spirit to know how to respond to that. 
And so, so it's important that, that as we teach and as we lead, that, that we, we portray the right doctrine at the right time and not false doctrine, right? And so, so it's important that, that that message of, you know, you need to be saved or you will go to hell is important. But, but a better answer for me, by the way, God has a way of getting that message to everybody. You know, just, just something, and, and avoid the debates. People, oh, here's another story. When I, when I was selling books, I think I might have told you that in my summer jobs at college, I had a job selling books toward the door. And, uh, and um, in my book, the main thing was some dictionaries, like regular dictionaries, but then there was also this thing called a Bible encyclopedia. Now, I wasn't saved yet. Um, I was saved on the book field, but at this point I wasn't saved. And, and so I knocked on the door. A lot of people, and this was in Charlotte, North Carolina, a lot of people in the Bible Belt. And, uh, and so I said, well, I've got this, you know, these, these dictionaries and this Bible, you know, are you interested in some books? My approach was much smoother back then. Uh, but, but, but one man, he stood at me and goes, Bible? Why do you look at the Bible? As if I had ever read it, right? Why do you believe in the Bible? He goes, who was Cain's wife? And I'm thinking, who was Cain? <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't know. And I was like, but I got this encyclopedia here. Maybe it's not in there, never mind. And he kind of closed the door, you know. <laughs> so I had no answer for him. But, but it's important to know not to get into those debates of I don't know. Like Cain's wife's not defined in the Bible. The Bible doesn't give us all the answers. It doesn't, there is science in the Bible, but it doesn't answer all the science questions. There's history in the Bible. It doesn't answer all the history questions. Use the Bible for what it's for, which is to, to, to show the world who God is and how much he loves you. Those are the discussions you want to have, not endless debates about is this a contradiction or what happened here or there. And do it with a spirit of love, by the way. Okay. And also, by the way, know this, that if you aren't diligent to know the word, and you aren't diligent to listen to the Spirit, you could lead someone astray, and you will be held accountable for that in the day of judgment by God. So, so there's a consequence to not doing it right. That's why it's important to be diligent to stay in the Word, stay in prayer, stay in the fellowship of believers that can help you in your walk as you grow. And stay away from unrighteousness. Um, and now listen to the latter part here. We're going to see that there's going to be false teachers and approved teachers even in, in the house of God. So let's read on in verse 20 uh, of chapter 2 of Second Timothy. <laughs> but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, and those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having taken captive uh, by him to do his will. So, so in a, the great house, this is the house of God, there are workers of honor and dishonor. Now, now what happens here is in the trial, uh, the trial by fire, the judgment by fire, your works will be tried. And if you're a vessel of honor, your works will withstand that trial. If you are a vessel of dishonor, your works will be burned up. Now, that doesn't mean you won't be saved, 
in the end days, but what it does mean is that it will affect your rewards. It will affect how your, your, uh, your, after, your life in, 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 in Christ afterwards will be. And uh, you don't want to be in front of the Lord and say, well, I did all this work for you, and he's going to go, I don't see any work, because it was work of dishonor. It was not the work he wanted you to do, even though you were in the great house. So there's false teachers. There's teachers who can teach on their own will of their own desire, even if they are believers in Christ. So it's important that as you hear, brothers, and you can see it in Scripture, Paul corrected Peter. Right? Peter was, was, he was saved, he understood, he was delivered from the works of the law, and yet when he was with the Jews, he, he, he separated himself from them, you might remember. And, and Paul withstood him to his face. He said, no, 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 this part of the law where you can't have dinner with Gentiles, you've been freed from that, you need to be able to. So, 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 so what happens when you see people who are walking astray in what they're teaching, they need to be corrected in love by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so there's opportunity that they can then come to their senses and actually teach doctrine correctly. So they aren't, uh, so they aren't lost, if, it, if you will. Does that make sense? So be aware. So what's the message today? Be aware. Look for those teachers who are teaching correctly. And when you see something you don't understand, approach those persons and, or that person and, and ask questions. You know, I didn't quite understand. Where were you going with this? On what scriptures is it based? Can you help me understand the conflict between this scripture and that scripture? More because I want to know, but also because I want to make sure you're not going astray. And, uh, and so, so that's a powerful thing we can do to help keep those who might be going astray from doing so. And also keep those who listen to those doctrines from going astray. So it's important. False teachers, even within the house. Obviously, it's a much bigger issue for those who are outside the house of God. Which gets us to this next section in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this was our first scripture of the night, Second uh, Timothy three one through seven. But know this: that in these last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Of the, uh, uh, for of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Um, the first thing I want to say about this passage is, these descriptions fit you before you were saved. <laughs> This was us before we knew Christ, like it or not. We were these kinds of people. Um, but in the last days, what Paul is saying is, look, this is going to get magnified. This is going to get worse. And you can, we can see that. You know, how important in the, in the young, and I don't mean to cast all young people in a bad light, but how many likes they get is far more important than whether they prayed. They're lovers of themselves in many cases. Uh, social media is influencing them in ways that we don't even understand in, in, in my generation. And I'm, again, not saying that all young people are there, but as a, as a culture, it just seems that way, doesn't it? That, that people are more lovers of themselves. They're, they're, they're boasters. They're proud. Um, I heard a, 
lesson just recently that was just kind of scary. Well, maybe Debbie and I were talking about this, about uh, the doctrine of telling children they're their own superhero, right? I mean, and that's wonderful to encourage somebody who's not feeling confident. But if you go too far with that, you, you realize that they become their own self-made person and they're all that in a bag of chips and they don't realize that they were created by God and they were created for a purpose. So, so I'm not you know, dissing the message and I do want to see people be encouraged and strengthened and, and strong, but, 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 but in balance, <laughs> right? So, so, um, so that's important too. Um, so in these last days, uh, there will be no restraint and lawlessness will, will, will abound. And even the, the church, I mean, if you look at some of the things that are being taught in the pulpits around the nation and around the world, things that are, appear to be godlike, but there's no power in it and there's no sacrifice with it. There's no suffering with it. There's no, you can accept the message feel like you're free and that you're a part of Christ and not be changed at all and not change in anything that you do. And you can feel good about yourself. And you can be 20,000 people in an auditorium who also feel good about themselves and all praising God because they feel good about themselves. It's a scary thing. It's a subtle thing. It's a, it's a craft of the devil to deceive people into thinking they are godlike or godly in nature but that's why we need to be able to teach sound doctrine and say, look, there's, there's, there's a decision to make. You have to die to yourself. There's a decision to make. And that has a consequence and a resulting action that's manifest. But in that manifestation of you following Christ and not yourself, the power of God begins to flow. And suddenly there's prophecy. Suddenly there's healing. Suddenly there's a word you never thought you had in your heart that you speak to somebody and people get delivered and saved. And suddenly you realize it's not about you at all, is it? It's about Jesus. That's the exciting part about dying to yourself and living for him. And, and, and so it's important that we, we shake off those chains of this worldly life, this, these chains of, 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 of prosperity and comfort. And I don't want to get out of my... I'm all, I'll only give an hour here, but I can't do too much more because you know, my dog needs a walk. You know, we need to be able to understand when it's time to sacrifice and when it's time to step out. Um, because perilous times are, are here. So the lifestyle of that will be appealing to many, and unfortunately, many will be drawn away. So for 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 10 through 13, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, Timothy. You have carefully seen my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, is the part we don't like, persecutions and afflictions, which happened to be in Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I, I assume because you guys are here on a Wednesday night, you all desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. And here the word plainly says, if you're doing that, you, you will suffer persecution. I don't want to suffer persecution, but it's, it's part and parcel with standing up for Jesus. So we need to embrace it and recognize that it's coming and not be surprised by it, not walk in the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind and know that that persecution will have no effect on you because ultimately God will deliver you 
out of it all. Be ready to walk in the same kinds of persecution, particularly as these last days become the last of the last and men, uh, the world's culture becomes so counter to what we stand for. Who we stand for, I should say. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 14-17 says, But you must continue in the things you have learned and be assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So brothers and sisters, when we think about the work that we have here at Faith Christian Center of reaching and teaching and connecting, all of that work has to be in line with the scriptures, the word, and with the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if you stay within those guardrails, he's going to do some amazing and mighty things as we carry out the, the call of this church in this region. And so, But it's important that you know the word and that if, if somebody takes on a small group and starts to lead in a direction that may be contrary, let's talk to the pastors and see, is this, is this out of line or not? And if it is, how do we address that? In love. No, no criticism. So I'm encouraging all of you to step out, even if you're uncomfortable a little bit. The Lord will lead you. Um, and if you do start to go astray, you have an overseers in Pastor Chris and the other pastors here to help guide you in those steps, right? But be willing to receive correction. God loves, uh, corrects those he loves. So, so be willing to receive those corrections. Um, so it's important to know the author of the book. Know, know the author, not just the book. Know God, know the Son, know the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, know Him. Know Him. Spend time with Him in worship. Spend time with Him in prayer. Know Him so that when you hear His voice, Jesus said, my sheep only hear my voice. Listen to Him, right? Know Him. Know His Word, which we have in our Bibles. And, and know that it's good, profitable for doctrine, proof, correction, and instruction. And there's a time when you may need to use that to correct someone, and, 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 and that's, that's a good thing. You know, it may feel uncomfortable to you. Um, and again, if you need to bring it to somebody who's uh, a leader here first, it might be advisable. Um, but, but otherwise, th- these are good things because we all need each other. We all need each other. None of us are perfect. Um, so, so we need to lean on each other. And then lastly, wow, this hour went by fast, Lee. Second uh, Timothy four. Um, there's a judgment coming. First five verses of Second Timothy chapter four. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will who will judge. Who will judge the living and the dead, at His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready. In season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, for, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure inflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
So what does that mean to us today? Again, we need to know how to apply this stuff. The message here today is that our voices need to be heard louder and more clear than all the other voices that are out there. Whether those voices come with the tag in the name of the Lord or not, the voices who have sound doctrine, who are willing to endure, uh, the voices who know the author, these are the voices. Our voices need to sound the alarm against false teaching as it, resu- as it, as it relates to God and as it relates to the Lord. Uh, sound the alarm against the groundswell of atheism in ideas where, you know, whether God, maybe there is a God, but he's irrelevant. This is permeating our culture today. I mean, even look at our, our Christian holidays. How Christian do they seem? I mean, to us they are. They're very rich and pure and wonderful. But to the world, how Christian do they seem? And, and this, is, this is permeating the world, not just here. I have the privilege of traveling around the world in various countries for my work. And, and again, it's not just here. It's, it's places I go. Uh, I, don't, I don't hear. In fact, I hear some amazing things that are not Christian. Um, maybe more on that later. But let's summarize here. So what have we said? What is Paul's final correspondence with Timothy and with us by the Holy Spirit? What are these exhortations? What is that? If you can remember one thing, you know, what is that thing that he's saying to us? And this is this list that we just went through. But so you can take it with you uh, and think about these things. Talk about them amongst yourselves during the week and weeks ahead. First of all, we're in the last days. Those last days are not something unique to now, but they've been here since the day that Paul wrote this, um, 2,000 years ago. And we know that at the end of the last days is the terrible day of the Lord. And that's when we see the tribulation starting. And so we know that there's some badness coming, goodness from a standpoint of the Lord, but some, some, some trauma on the earth is coming. So realize that stuff is happening, and it's happening faster and faster. Um, so, so, so Paul warns us, the Holy Spirit, I should say, warns us against the spirit of fear in these last days. Don't allow that to encroach upon you. He warns us that we need teachers. We need to continue to develop teachers and be teachers. You know, again, it's not the five-fold teacher that we need. We need teachers in every corner of, the, of life uh, who are committed to sound doctrine. Uh, we need to be warned about false teachers because they'll draw many away and you'll look at them and go, well, if it's good for all those people, it must be good for me. And, and no, don't follow the broad path that leads to destruction. Stay on the narrow path. Right? Uh, he warned us about perilous times that are coming. And these perilous times are coming because the world is becoming self-centric more and more and more and, and, and less God-centric. Right? So those times are coming... And then reminder that the judgment is coming sooner than you think. And all of us will stand before the judgment. Those of us in Christ will be judged by the judgment seat of Christ. And those who don't accept Christ will face the great white throne of judgment where if their name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they're going to doom and destruction. I mean, for everlasting. No time for repentance. There's a very serious judgment coming on those who choose to reject the gospel. But for those who will be saved, um, which is us, uh, we will be, will be delivered from that. So, but it's important to know that between now and that last day, God's will is that everyone be saved. And therefore, his will is how can they be saved unless they hear? And how can they hear unless someone brings them the gospel? Which is why we need teachers. 
Is that making sense? So it's important to know the judgments is coming. So our change in lifestyle has to reflect that. We need to be diligent to show ourselves approved. We need to be willing to teach others. We need to, be, we need to set our disposition now to endure when times get tough. Decide now when they're not that tough that you will endure when they get tough because they're going to get tough. Uh, so, so decide now. If you wait until you say, well, let's see how it goes, that's a bad place to go. Right? So decide now that you will endure and know that judgment is coming, not only on those who don't believe, but on you and on your works. So there's an opportunity still to do good works, to be vessels of honor and not dishonor in the house of God. So go and share the gospel. Bring it with power. Bring it with love and with soundness of mind. And then Paul's, uh, one of his final statements here to Timothy chapter 4, 6 through 8, Paul writes, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. In the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. Interesting that he wrote to Timothy in the first letter, fight the good fight. Paul now says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, a reward for, for us, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who love his appearing. So, so there is a reward. You know, and, and, and you don't want to strive for that for yourself. You want to strive for that for him, but know that there is a reward as a result. God is not unjust in, in that way. That's Second Timothy. And uh, God has, I think, exhorted us to do his will. Thank you, Lord, for this word tonight. We pray, Lord, that it changes us. Help us to reprioritize where that is necessary. Help us to put you first, to follow you fully, to die to ourselves daily, and to serve you completely. Help us to be prepared and be aware as we see changes coming, to not to shrink back and be quiet, but to stand up and let, our light, let your light shine. Only you can do these things through us and only through your Holy Spirit, but you are here in us to do it, so help us, help us to freely let you flow through us. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. I ask any of you who are here in the house or, or any of you who might be online, if you're new to Christianity, if you're curious about it, if you've never made a decision to say, yes, Jesus, be my Lord, um, I ask you to come see me here tonight after, after we close, uh, or if you're online, to, to dial in to the church tomorrow morning and ask somebody to, to tell you what that means. But essentially what it says is, in faith I believe that Jesus paid the price for my sins, that he died on the cross, that he was raised again, and it's saying that I want Jesus to be my Lord. I don't want to be Lord of myself anymore. Jesus, be my Lord. When you ask that and believe that by faith, you can do it yourself, you can do it in the presence of another, you can do it by calling into the church. What will happen is, is the Holy Spirit will come and abide in you and begin you on your journey of being a Christian, being in Christ. And that will deliver you from this judgment, this final judgment that is to come and save you into eternity of paradise with all of us who are believers. So it's an important step, the first step. It's a prayer that all of us have taken, most of us here in the house, and I encourage you to take it as well. 
So again, if there's anyone here, come on down. If you haven't done it, I think I know most of you. Uh, but if there's anyone online who hasn't done that, do it. Do it tonight. Do it in your living room or call into the church and say, what was, what was Gordon talking about? This prayer thing, salvation. Be curious. Take a step of faith and be bold uh, and call in. We appreciate that. Father, we thank you that you have given us the opportunity to give. You have provided for us substance. You have uh, filled our needs and that we are privileged to have the opportunity to give into your kingdom. And we thank you, Lord, that you will bless those who are giving tonight and return it back unto them and that the seed that is sown will, turn, uh, will, will be helpful for the building of your kingdom. And we thank you, Lord, for that in Jesus' name. Thank you, everybody, for being out tonight and, and uh, standing firm in the word and being strong in the Lord. Looking forward to uh, tomorrow. So be blessed. Have a good night.